Guys, I had an amazing conversation with the CMO of Cockroach Labs. His name is Peter Guaganti. And we just had it awesome, guys. We talked about a lot of different topics. And you're also going to learn some pretty cool insights for the future. You know, P Peter's story is actually quite amazing because, as he says, he's not the typical tech entrepreneur with a typical background. You know, he grew up in a blue-collar family. And, by the way, we're going really deep to the podcast, so I'm just teasing you here. He didn't grow up with he a lot of money, but he made it. He was self-taught. He was determined to do it. And we also explore a pretty interesting topic, which is the entre are entrepreneurs born or made, really? You know... I honestly don't know if they're born or made, but what I do know is that they can be both, right? I, I mean, I know that there are people who are made entrepreneurs and people who are born entrepreneurs. I mean, it's the future, guys. It, everyone can become anything right now. You know, we're getting exposed to, you know, business and AI, and we're just going to keep growing and growing. But we dive deep a lot more into our podcast, so make sure to listen to the whole thing and connect with Peter. He's an awesome guy. Alright guys, I'll see you soon, have a great day, and also let me know what you think of the podcast, connect with me on LinkedIn or on Instagram, and let's rock and roll, bye-bye. Peter, I want to say one huge welcome to the Parent of Genius, I'm so excited to have you here, and thank you so, so much for coming on the show. So, I guess for an icebreaker, I should ask, what is your story? Uh, where do you want to begin? The total beginning. Excellent. So uh, I've got a very different background than most of the tech entrepreneurs you'll meet. I grew up in uh, New York City to what we call in the U.S. a blue-collar family. My dad was a mechanic. My mom cleaned houses for a living. Um, I was very bright growing up, but you know, did not did not have the sort of typical access to uh, the good schools and all those things. And so I ended up becoming very much self-taught. And so uh, while I was in high school and then the early parts of university, I um, was working full-time while going to school full-time and uh, discovered computers. And specifically in the early 90s uh, was in university as the birth of the internet started. And so I uh, was very lucky to get access to the internet and a lot of that when it was still emerging and started building websites and web applications in the, in the, the mid-90s and uh, got an opportunity to get a, I got a contract assignment to build the very first website for what at the time was the most popular magazine in the United States, which was People Magazine, which was a celebrity magazine. And um, that kicked off what became a now 25-year career in internet technology and um, starting with 15 years in the digital agency business. So I started building sites and applications for, for brands. I actually dropped out of university and started the company two months before my 20th birthday and uh, proceeded to build and sell a couple of digital agencies before working in very large companies like Accenture and, and others. And then about 10 years ago, I decided to make a change and switch from the consulting business to working inside of tech startups. I had always been an entrepreneur and always loved that space. I actually was working heavily in the open source communities at the time. So I, had a, I was running a $120 million consulting business at the time with half of it being media and advertising and the other half of it being what we called experiences and platforms. 
And so we're building rich digital experiences for companies. And at the time I was using WordPress and Drupal and Magento and all these sort of PHP based uh, systems for building these applications. And I was approached by a company called Acquia, which is behind the Drupal open source project to join as one of their early employees in 2010. And I made the leap. And so the last 10 years I've spent in enterprise software companies primarily as an executive, both in product and marketing roles. Um, and I've had a couple of very successful exits. Acquia is a very large, successful company now. It was at a company called Nginx, which is one of the biggest uh, networking software in the open source world. Uh, that company was sold to F5. And now I'm currently working as the head of marketing at a, a place called Cockroach Labs, which is behind a third generation database technology, which is powering some pretty interesting applications nowadays. So let's go back to the beginning again. Do you think that the internet was kind of the thing that could give, you know, what people in Europe call the blue collar family people actually a chance to really, really make it big? Because, you know, when you read about all the ultra high successful people, they had grit, they had patience, they had, you know, uh, they work hard, but they were also like from families that, you know, were engineers or like they're already entrepreneurs and stuff like that. So do you think the internet can actually give people from, you know, the middle or below the middle class actual opportunity to become really successful? I mean, based on your story. Yeah, I actually think, I think there are moments in time where the world is being disrupted. I don't think it was just the internet. I mean, I think if you look back actually from the beginning of the industrial revolution, there were these moments where people with humble beginnings had an opportunity to do something on equal ground with everyone else around them. And, you know, I think the internet 25 years ago was one of those moments. I remember, I remember you know, I was a young guy, right? And I, so I was very social at the time. I remember meeting people like, you know, meeting, meeting women at bars, right? And, and talking about this internet thing. And at the time people were like, what is that? And, and what does it really mean? I think, you know, you're, you're young enough to only really know a world with smartphones and ubiquitous connectivity and all these things. At the time it was radical and the concept of what it might bring. I think there were very few of us who really understood just how big of a change it was, it was, it was about to create. And so I do think that at the time, you know, there was this level playing field so anyone could go and potentially build a career or build, build something really breakthrough. And I think there are examples of that. I mean, you look at someone like Jeff Bezos, now the most wealthy man in the world, I guarantee you, you know, if you look at the other, you know, 20 billionaires at his level, many of them are generational wealth, right? Many of them are, right? They, they were in a position because family wealth. He was, while not blue collar, he came from very humble beginnings, right? And, you know, I think, he had that same opportunity. I think, unfortunately, as, as things like blitz scaling and all these other, other things have come into play as you build businesses nowadays, I think the, the opportunity like Bezos attacked is not as present as it was that time ago. I mean, there was a time even 15 years ago where I felt like most of software startups were a meritocracy. Like if you could write great code and you had a great idea, you could win. It didn't matter where you went to school. I don't know if that's still true anymore. But I definitely think that because distribution is open, because of open source software, because of uh, the idea that, you know, you really cannot for pennies go in, and create a business, I do think it, there's still a tremendous opportunity. You know, I think, you know, Nicola, you're, you know, 
your part of the world 20 years ago had no opportunities to build, you know, to build these large businesses. But now some of the greatest innovations in software are coming out of, you know, parts of the world that were not considered the economic might, right? Were not considered the area where you got this talent. And so I do think that there's still tremendous opportunity, you know, maybe not as much opportunity as there was to build a business like Amazon, right? But I do think there is still tremendous opportunity and um, you know, you just have to be unafraid to reach for it. You have to be unafraid to try. So that may come off as more of the personal question, really. But do you think that when you were young, when you were talking about the internet at first, were people afraid like they are now with AI? You know, some people are really paranoid with AI. Like it may become actually pretty bad. Were people, were some people afraid like that with the internet, or was it a bit different? You know, there is a lot of similarities. I don't know if there was as much fear that the technology was going to do something wrong, but I definitely saw two reactions to the emerging technology. And one was excitement, right? And this idea that, wow, you know, we can do something radically different, radically new, radically interesting. But then there were a lot of people who were afraid because they were content and they didn't want things to change, right? They did not want things to move. Um, as I mentioned, my first role was in, was in a magazine and I was at the time, it was part of the, the time empire, time life empire. And this was a multi-billion dollar publishing business, right? And they made their money by printing, you know, colored paper and distributing it around the world. And, you know, it was plain as day that digital was going to replace that business, right? It was plain as day as early as 95, 96, 97. You could see it. But most of them stuck their head in the sand and they didn't want it to change. So they didn't do anything about it. And I think the current situation where these media businesses have been completely supplanted by social media and all these other things, in some ways they are a victim of their own, their own decisions, right? You know, look at someone like New York Times, very bravely, the New York Times went to a paywall, you know, some time ago. And if you go and read the press from the time, you know, everyone was saying that the New York Times was going to be destroyed by doing that, that going to a paywall was going to end the business. And they're doing better today than they ever were, right? And so I think there is this natural human reaction to be afraid of change, right? That, that, is, a, that is a normal thing. But your choices in the face of change are to freeze and hope that things don't change, you know, or get comfortable with it and figure out how you can benefit from the change, right? And some changes are not going to be good, right? AI is going to be very interesting. I, I'm a big believer that <clears throat> the dramatic change we saw in the last 25 years, particularly in the last 20 years with digital transformation, AI is going to make that look like a mild tweak in how we lived. I think AI is going to fundamentally change the face of our society in the next 20 years. And I think that's why people are afraid of it because there are some dark paths that it could go down very quickly. And our choice is to stick our heads in the sand once again and act like it's not gonna happen or get involved, right? And as an entrepreneur, get involved and say, okay, well, how can I transform business from this? How can I transform how people work? How can I transform how people live, right? And it's already happening. This is the thing. 
right? If you use Uber, you are using machine learning to match a car with a passenger and to choose pricing. You know, if you are watching Netflix, guess what? Machine learning is deciding which shows to show you. And it's actually telling them which shows to produce, right? So it's already here. It's just unequally distributed. And it's going to change a lot. And I think there are a lot of white collar jobs today in data processing and, you know, transformation that will be replaced by, by deep learning. It absolutely will be. So what are you going to do about it, right? If you're in a position where you can go and create something for yourself out of it, you should do so. If you're one of those people who's sitting in that job today and you think your job is going to be disrupted, I do personally believe it is the role of our society to go and retrain these people and help them find something else. But in the absence of that, get off your butt and go figure out what your next job is going to be, right? Because you can, you can either be part of the change or you can wait for it to happen to you, at which point then the only person you have to blame at the end of the day is yourself. Mm, that's pretty interesting. Do you think that with AI, it can happen like, you know, we can experience a second renaissance period, right? Because, you know, we, in the renaissance, people were like, you know, they were just innovating, like read, innovating, like the human was the center of the world, no longer God. Uh, there were many great um, engineers, Leonardo da Vinci is the most uh, famous of them, and painters here again, and Michelangelo and stuff like that. Do you think that the AI is going to force people to become more creative? and therefore give us a second renaissance kind of period? That's a really interesting analogy. That is a really interesting analogy, and I had not thought about it that way, but it's a great, it's a great question. So what AI is likely to do is it is likely to fully automate the mundane, right? So if you think about digital transformation, it really was around automating processes and, and speeding up and, and increasing productivity and in how we did things, right? To go from paper to digital, which is really what happened in all of these things, what you really did was just accelerate how we already worked and, and to build efficiencies in. But there is so much that is, you know, the, the, the mundane of the everyday that we still have to do that AI will replace right? For those who are the most creative, for those who have the wealth and the free time to be able to go and enjoy that, yes, I think you do start to see a renaissance of sorts. But while the renaissance was going on, you also saw, you know, a lot of society who had shorter life, life expectancies, who were still serfs, who were still, you know, barely able to sustain themselves. You know, so for every Michelangelo, there were a million, you know, there were, there were a million people living in servitude, right? So, you know, I do think that AI runs that same both potential for good and potential for, for, for bad, right? I do think that that is going to be a very different, um, a very different world, you know, through that process. And what are we going to do about it is the question, right? Absolutely. And do you see now with new startups, do you see them like, you know, still not being able to change to AI? You know, there's always going to be innovators, but do you see like some startups who are like the printing press from like before the internet? Do you see them like not wanting to adapt, but at the same time wanting to actually change the world? Do you see that kind of paradox happening? It, it will happen. I mean, I, I, I'm not close enough to many businesses 
um, to be able to predict, you know, who will who will make it and who won't. But but I will tell you, you know, most digital businesses where they were, you know, was in logic based application development, right? And they have built, you know, tens or hundreds or even thousands of man years in in building the businesses that they have, building the applications that power them, all of those things. And there, you know, to really unlock the potential of machine learning and deep learning, you're gonna have to rebuild many of these things from scratch. And if you've ever, you know, if you've ever run a business like this or built that technology, it's very easy to get complacent, right? It is very easy to be in a place where you say, I put so much effort into this. I, I, it's, we're making money now. Why would I do anything differently? Well, the why you would do anything differently is, the history of industry, you know, for, for now well over 100 years, is one of disruptors taking out incumbents, right? And that was true with Henry Ford and the horse, you know, the, with, with, with uh, horse-driven carriages. That was true with, you know, in, in more recent times with Microsoft replacing IBM and now Google replacing Microsoft. You know, I think there is, there is a, a long history of this. And I remember when I was early in my career, I had the pleasure of, of working with a guy by the name of Tom Bogan, who was the chairman of Citrix at the time, which is a massive technology company. And Tom had been through many, many businesses already at this point. And, and Citrix was a, was a powerhouse when he was running it. And I remember him looking at me and saying, someone's going to disrupt you. Why not make you the disruptor, right? And why not disrupt yourself? And that was a remarkable way of thinking about things that, that definitely changed for me how I thought about changes like this to say, okay, well, I can be complacent or I can wake up and realize either get disrupted or be the disruptor. Interesting. So taking that philosophy, what do you think you would have done if, for example, you were at the place where instead of the internet, you were born when the AI was actually rising, you know, when the, the actual boom right now, what would you have done then, in your opinion? That's, that's whole speculation, by the way, we don't know, but uh, yeah. yeah. So you mean if I was in, say, your shoes and starting to think about your career? Um, well, maybe I, older even, maybe, maybe older, you know, but yeah, in that age range. Yeah, I think if I were early in my career, right, but maybe that's the framework for it. If I were early in my career, and my opportunities were open. I would embrace data science, right? I, I think the era of the developer is coming to an end, right? The developer was the heart of innovation in the last 25 years. I think that era is over. I think development has become commoditized, right? I can, I can hire PhD level resources anywhere in the world for, you know, a few thousand dollars a month, right? So, you know, it used to be it was this finite skill set in a very small number of people that came out of a very small number of universities. But now I think education has gotten broad enough and, and the capability has gotten broad enough where you can now have great talent everywhere. The big gap in AI are actually data engineers and data scientists. And if I were young, I would be going deep in data science right now. And I would be going as deep as possible. And that doesn't mean necessarily pursue it as the sole career path, just like engineering became the core of innovation in the last 25 years. I'm not an engineer, right? I, I'm, I was a social sciences major in, in college. I'm a business guy, right? Um, but I remember 
another early in my career, someone described every successful startup has a hacker and a hustler, right? The hacker is the person whose mindset is just build it, just get it done. The hustler is how do I make money out of this? And I think the same thing is happening in, in, in AI right now, where there are people who are looking at this and saying, I believe I can engineer this fundamentally new thing, leveraging this technology, right? And there are others that are saying, I believe I can change this category and build a phenomenal business by doing this. But both require a really deep understanding of the principles of machine learning, deep learning, and how data science works so you can make use of it. Fast, you know, I mean, think about if, you know, in someone at my level, right? I, and I've given this counsel to CEOs at Fortune 500 companies. If you don't know the data you have access to, if you don't know how it's collected, how it's managed, and what you can do with it, you are missing an opportunity. So, you know, this is the same opportunity exists that we saw 25 years ago with CEOs that are bright enough to look at this and say, wow, my business, I collect all of this data. I have this control over, over my piece of the market. If I just start leveraging that to competitive advantage, this is what my business could look like 20 years from now. You know, and so either they're gonna do it or someone your age is gonna look at some other business and say, this is stupid. Why are we doing this this way? Wouldn't it be better if we just use deep learning to do this instead, right? Those people are going to replace things. How do you think we can uh, dive deep into data science? Do you think we need to like, you know, because I, I don't really know if there's actually degrees for that, for data science. I believe there are. Uh, but do you think that we can actually learn a lot about it from the internet as a whole if we pick up our sources? Or do you, do you think we need to like go the traditional path? Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. I, you know what, honestly, I... I think most universities are woefully behind what you actually need as skills to, to function in a lot of these careers, right? Even, even computer science degrees, you look at some of the things that they're teaching and it's great foundation, but there's a reason why our best and brightest engineers interned extensively while they were in university, right? Because they, they need the experience. And I think data science is that same way. I mean, there are some principles of data management. There's some principles of the mathematics behind these things. I think there are the, there's a lot of good research that are out there that you could learn in a school. But I don't think there is anything that a university holds that you couldn't learn on your own through research if you're bright, right? And if you're, if you're driven. I, I do think a lot of this stuff can be self-taught. Hmm. Even you know, so you believe that even schools from the Ivy League are behind? I can't speak to every one of the programs that are out there, but, you know, my, my experience is that the reality is most of these programs are, you know, most of, the, most of the, the, the courseware that you learn is not specific training for these kinds of roles, right? And, and obviously, Ivy Leagues give you a different level of immersion and education around a lot of these things. But even they run the risk of being trapped in, you know, a structured curriculum that has been designed over decades in order to give you certain skills that, you know, are really about being successful in the world broadly, as opposed to some of these emerging areas are things that are not broad, like the, the things you learn in school make you good at life, right? But the things that's gonna, that are going to make you 
you know, a great entrepreneur in a data science category are not all the things you're going to learn in university, right? I mean, there, there's a there's an analogy here or an example maybe. I I I myself am a college dropout, right? I I left school and started, you know, started started working and built successful businesses and learned as I went, right? And I remember I I actually was a guest lecturer at an at an MBA program in the early 2000s, and I saw a pattern very quickly, and I saw this same pattern, by the way, in the employees I had working for me when I was a management consultant. Those who graduated from school and then worked for a little bit and then went back for their MBA were dramatically more successful, not just in university, but in their first few years after their MBA program than those who literally just jumped straight from their undergraduate degree to their, to their, their MBA program. And I think it's context, right? I think there is, there is a certain amount of understanding that comes from living in the world where these things are applied. And I think, you know, you can learn the fundamentals of data and data science and mathematics and all these other things. But if we're talking about saying, say, building a business that leverages deep learning in order to transform a process, if you've never worked in a business, then you're going to have very limited success, right? Hmm. All right, so let's say that you are either a hustler or the hacker of a startup. How do you go about hiring great people or finding them? So I have a strong opinion on this, which is I, I think most people make a mistake when they hire and they hire off of a resume, right? And they hire off of experience in an area. Um, but I think the most successful people in startups tend to be really share a certain type of culture, right? More than, than necessarily an experience. And, you know, I think what you, what you instead should be hiring for is capability, whether or not that capability has been expressed or not, and culture, right? And so what I look for when I hire is first and foremost, do they have the core characteristics in their personality that I believe will make them successful? So I hire for passion, you know, I hire for, for intelligence, I hire for initiative and entrepreneurialism, and, and frankly, I hire for integrity as well. And, and why those, right? So passion, for me, you know, when you're building something from scratch or you're trying to grow aggressively in an existing business, it can't just be a job, right? If it's just a job, you are not going to be successful because things are going to get thrown at you and it's going to be up and down. On a, on a daily or even hourly basis sometimes where you have to have the, the ability to push through the times where things are hard and, and just make it work. And if you don't really love something, if you don't have passion for it, it's very difficult to do that. And so I look for, you know, the kinds of people who are, who are, who want to lean in when there are problems, who, who want to see it succeed. Um, Initiative is part of that as well, which is this sort of entrepreneurial mindset, right? You, what you need are people who understand and identify what needs to get done, not people who are waiting for direction. You know, I, I always tell my team, ask forgiveness, not permission, right? I want, I want you to push for doing what you believe is right for the business, even if it means, you know, doing something a little bit off where, where you were told what you were told to do, right? because we care about the outcomes, not the activity, right? And so, you know, that's a, that's a characteristic you don't find in a lot of people, but, 
you know, especially in, in high growth startups, what you're looking for are people whose, whose desire is to build their own business from scratch at some point, right? You want that mindset. You want people who, who come to work every day and think of themselves as owners, not employees, right? So one of the reasons we give out equity, you know, it's, it's not as common in Europe, but in, in the US, we give out significant shares in these companies because we want that attitude. We want people to realize you're not gonna, you're gonna make good money from your, your paycheck every day, but you're going to make exceptional wealth if the company does well, right? If you, if you make that contribution, you know, and uh, intelligence is, is key in this as well. I think you can hire for experience, but what you're really looking for more than anything is the ability to solve the problem and to seize the opportunity. And, you know, just because you've had a pattern that worked in the past doesn't mean it's going to work today. Right. I mean, I, I've spent most of my career in go to market, you know, in marketing and selling and positioning and all those other things. And, I've worked on over a hundred brands at this point in my career. And I will tell you the tactics that work for one brand, even in the same category, are not always the same ones that are successful, right? So you have to be willing to think on your feet and figure out what the right answer is, not what the right playbook is. And I think that's another thing that I see actually that's the biggest mistake that most people make because they don't hire for that. Um, the last integrity, you know, this, the, the journey of building a, a business from scratch, you have to really enjoy each other's company. You have to be able to like each other and trust each other. And I think without integrity, which to me means, you know, things like say what you mean, mean what you say, you know, honor your word, you know, these, 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 I think what, what at times feel a little old school, right? It feels like a, like a, a, a bygone era, but I think that way of treating people and treating each other and, behaving in your everyday, I think makes some companies more successful than others, right? I mean, you look at a company like Uber and how it was run. You look at a company like um, Zenefits and how it was run. And you look at the, despite the success, some of the hurdles that they ran into. And those were cultures that I don't think necessarily, you know, were acting with integrity all the time. Not having worked in them, I'm just saying as an outsider. But you look at the, you know, you wonder what kind of a drag that put on those businesses on a day-to-day on -day basis. I'll tell you, when you have that kind of relationship with the people around you, there is no drag when you show up to work every day, right? You just figure out how to get things done. And I, and I think that makes, a, that makes a, a fundamental difference. Do you think the entrepreneurial might is something that we were kind of like, May, uh, it was made in us by our environment like when we were born or can we actually develop when we get exposed to it you know because I, I, I'm not saying that I'm an entrepreneur right now but you know nobody in my family was an entrepreneur right I yeah. learned about that from the internet so I'm just thinking is that wired in you or can you actually learn it from outside source and actually embrace it I, I, I don't know right I mean as, as somebody who uh, I think thinks like a scientist most days. I, you ask that question, and I and I immediately want to say, well, is it testable? Right? Is it provable? I, I will tell you correlation. Right. Most of the people I know who have been the most successful entrepreneurs, it is definitely a mindset. Right. It is a mindset that started early. Right. I I when I was a teenager, I always found ways to make money. I actually. Uh, I was a funny sidebar, but I was a sponsored skateboarder when I was a teenager. And so I created skateboard apparel when I was a teenager, small quantities, but it was enough that I had some design skills and I created some things and I made thousands of dollars, right? When I was in high school, 
when my friends were making, you know, minimum wage working horrible jobs, I was, you know, I had money in my pocket for doing something that I really enjoyed. And that story is actually surprisingly common among a lot of the entrepreneurs I know. I don't know if it's, if it's, you know, if it gets passed down, right, who knows, but I, I definitely think that there is a mindset that some people are born with where they just want to do these things, right? And I do think then the environment either activates it or, or suppresses it, right? And like for me, I'm, I'm, I'm 44 years old, so I grew up in the, in the 80s in, in the U.S. And the 80s in the U.S. were marked by certain creative cultures, right? So one of them being punk rock, right? So the punk rock culture was a, was a do-it-yourself culture. It was this creative culture. And so that's what I grew up around was, you know, flyers and, and you know, people hosting shows and venues. And then the rave culture came to the U.S. and it was the same thing. It was rent a venue and get your friends together and host a party and all those things. So the environment I grew up in was one where you had all these great examples of people being entrepreneurial and pursuing something they loved and then, you know, being able to do something, you know, build a career off of that. And I, and I do think that if you can connect those two things, right, if you can give people examples and just show them, hey, this is a path, you can do this if you're passionate about it. I think that that does unlock something for some people where they pursue it. I, I mean, you brought up your, your family. Um, I would not describe either of my parents as entrepreneurial right, given the traditional context of that. But I did see my dad hated working for other people, right? He wanted to do his own thing. He owned his own, his own, his own repair shop. You know, he had all these other side things that he would do. And what was clear was he wanted control over his own destiny. And maybe that's one of the core things about being an entrepreneur is this desire to control your own destiny and then the inner drive to be able to activate that and say, okay, well, I'm going to then find a way. Because I'll, I'll tell you, that is a very common pattern among all the most successful entrepreneurs I know. That is a great answer. So Peter, before we end up our amazing conversation, can you share uh, with us your contact info, social medias, emails, or websites where people can reach out to you if they have any more questions? So please share everything out. Absolutely. Um, you can find me on Twitter at PeterG021. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, that's usually the best way to reach me. It's Peter Guagenti is the, is, is the, is the LinkedIn URL. Um, and you can find me on Instagram as well with Peter Geo 21 I'm, uh, I never let go of my passion for, for photography and some of the other things I did when I was younger. So you can still find me there as well. Awesome, Peter. So thank you for that amazing conversation, dude. Uh, thanks for sharing so many valuable stuff with us. You know, um, I'm not going to say that you know, I'm not going to say that this is the best interview, this is the worst interview, but that was pretty good interview. So thank you about that. Uh, I really appreciate your time with us today. And you have a great rest of the year, mate. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nicola. It was a lot of fun.